Thank you for listening to the preaching ministry of Oxford Baptist Church with our pastor, Andy Brown. We pray you'll be blessed as you apply these truths to your life. Do you mind opening your Bible with me today to Matthew chapter 5? We're going to begin the Sermon on the Mount today as we look at the Beatitudes today in Matthew chapter 5. And as you're turning over there, I want you to consider this question with me. Is there more to this life? Have you ever asked that question? Have you ever maybe been asked that question or known someone that has asked that question? Is there more to this life? If you think about it, questions like that, is there more to this life, they really come through brokenness. If everything in this world was just as we liked it, if everything in this world was right, then we would not have these hopeful longings for something that's more. But, is there something more? And if there is something more, is the something more better? The current world that we live in is a world that is broken. Sin has wrought disaster on the world, and it's brought with the disaster. It's brought disease. It's brought death. It's brought all kinds of heartache. It's brought all kinds of hurt. It has left humanity with this longing in our heart, every one of us here, asking the question, Although we may not be asking it today, we probably have asked it at some point in our life, is there more than just this? There was a famous man by the name of G.K. Chesterton. He described the world as a broken stained glass window. And so here we have ourselves walking by and we look down and we see these broken colored pieces of stained glass. They're strewn about the street. We look at it and we can tell that all the pieces belong together, but we're unable to figure out how it is that the pieces are to be put back together. So each piece that's strewn about, each piece represents a particular truth. You have beauty laying on the ground, there's wisdom laying on the ground, there's truth laying on the ground, there's humility laying on the ground, there's love laying on the ground, but there's nothing to hold it all together. There's nothing then if we were to try and ourselves come to try to put everything back together, put beauty back in order with wisdom or beauty with humility or love with beauty. There's nothing to prevent the world, if we were to put it all together, from collapsing under the weight of our individual taste. The way that we think things should go. The way that we like things to be. And so if we see this broken world, if we see all these truths strewn about, and we try to take it and put it all back together, if the pieces are to be put back together, there must be one truth that's there that's going to bind it all together. There must be one truth out there to reveal to us what it is that has been shattered. And there must be one out there who not only shows us what has been shattered, but one who is then able to take what has been shattered and put it all back together again. To put it simply this morning, the world tells us by just experience that you and I need a Savior to rescue us from our own efforts of individuality. Our own efforts to try to make things the way like we like them. There must be something greater than you. There must be something greater than me. We need a Savior to rescue us from our own selves. We need a Savior to reveal to us what is true. To show us how to live. To show us how to love. To show us that we were meant for more. 
and what we're currently experiencing. I just want you to think with me just for a moment about how hopeless a situation that we all face of, of individuals who are out in the world grasping for truth, trying their best to find truth without any foundation of truth, just knowing that there must be some truth. The truth is out there, they say, so they grasp hopelessly at things. And as they grasp at this truth, they encounter suffering. Our world is full of suffering because the world is filled full of people who they don't know who they are. They don't know who they are. They're desperately trying to find out who they are. And so they go here and they try this. So they go over here and they try this. And as they try this, outside the bounds of what God has ordained, outside of what truth is, they try things and it ends up in their own hurt or disaster. The world's full of people who think that they know who they are, but deep down, they're truly just troubled individuals trying to figure it all out. So this morning, let me ask you, can you tell me who you are? Now, don't tell me what you do. Because there's a difference between what you do and who you are. Can you tell me who you are? I want to tell you this morning, as we have come together to worship our Lord, as we have come together and in this event we have been directed in the beginning of the sermon to take your Bible and open, I want to tell you that if it wasn't for Jesus if it wasn't for a Savior named Jesus, if it wasn't for this Savior's ministry to us, then we would be those who are lost in utter darkness. We'd be those who are blind to see the beautiful truth of who we are. To see the truth of not only who we are, but who God has made us to be and who God intends us to be. And because of the Sermon on the Mount, we know who we are. And how is that? Because of Matthew 5, Matthew 6, Matthew 7, because of the ministry of Jesus, we know who we are. And how is it that we know who we are? There's only one reason that we know who we are. Because He's told us. He's not left things out in the open, mysterious, enigmas out there for us to try to go figure it out, grasping at the air, trying to find things. No, our God has given us a book that is in a straightforward way, He has spoken to us. And He has told us who we are. You say, well, wait just a minute. Okay, Jesus. But who is this Jesus? Why should we trust Him? Because the Bible says that He is the One who was sent from God. This eternal God who came both seeking and saving. This God who came living and loving. This God who came to give His life for the ransom of many, so that you and I would know who it is that we are. So it begs a question then, doesn't it? Who in the world are we? Are you ready? We are the blessed ones. If you follow Christ this morning, if you trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the Bible has a word for you to describe who you are. It has a descriptor for you. You know who you are? You are the blessed ones. Look at the Beatitudes. Matthew chapter 5. If you've ever grown up in church, if you had a grandmother who loved church, if you've ever read anything about the Bible, you've probably heard this morning of the Beatitudes. You've probably read Matthew chapter 5. Look at these Beatitudes for just a moment. Just 
as you, as you have your Bible there in front of you or whatever you have in front of you, maybe it's a tablet or an iPhone, whatever, just look at the text. Look at the text. Lean over to that person beside you. Look at those statements. Blessed is how they all begin. Do you see that? Blessed here. Blessed there. Blessed, 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 blessed. But I want you to do something this morning. As best you can. Don't simply look at these Beatitudes at a distance. I want you to feel them warming your soul. As you realize this morning that these sayings are not just describing just anyone. These blessed statements are sayings that are describing you. You who are faithfully trusting in Jesus. Look at them this morning. These are descriptors of us. Look, we who trust in Jesus, we are the poor in spirit. We are the mournful. We are the meek. We are those who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness. We are merciful. We are pure in heart. We are peacemakers. We are persecuted for righteousness sake. But that's not all. Ours is the kingdom of heaven. We will be comforted. We will inherit the earth. We will be satisfied. We will receive mercy. We shall see God. We will be called sons of God. And in case you missed it, ours is the kingdom of heaven. You see, these beatitudes that we have in front of us today that we're going to get to study over the next eight to ten weeks together, these beatitudes provide for us, they provide for us these deep roots of everlasting joy. And these days that are full of darkness, these days that are full of evil, the day, the age of terrorism, we need these sayings more than ever. Let's read the Bible together. Hear the word of the Lord, beginning in verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. When he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Shall we pray together? Thank you, Lord, for your word. Teach us from your word. 
Jesus' name, amen. And before you and I begin, before we begin, it's important for us to know what it is that we're looking at. We call these Beatitudes. Now, how many of you used the word Beatitude anytime in any conversation that you had last week? Anyone use that word? We don't really talk that way. It's not a common way for us to talk. But what is it that we are looking at? What is a Beatitude? Listen carefully. A Beatitude is a saying that reveals supreme blessedness. A Beatitude is a saying that reveals what it means to be perfect. It reveals what it means to lack nothing. Jesus is saying, these are the blessed ones. This is the pathway to blessedness. And so as we look at the whole of the Beatitudes today, I want to give you just four truths this morning about this blessed life that Christ has called us to as we uh, look to the Beatitudes as, as we see all that God has called us to be. Four truths this morning about the Beatitudes. Number one, number one, it's important for us to remember as we approach these Beatitudes that Christ has come to remake humanity. Look at this. The Bible begins, if you remember the way that it begins, the Bible begins in Genesis with this great declaration that there's a God who chose benevolently to create the world. So you say the question then, why did God choose to create the world? Well, did He do so because there was something that He lacked? Maybe He needed people to worship Him. His little worship meter was getting low, and so He needed to create these little souls so that He could have His worship meter go all the way back up. Is that why He created? Was He lonely? Why did God create? The reason that God created the world is just simply He wanted to. He had this desire to share and to show His love. What we believe as Christianity, we believe that our religion is a religion of declaration. We believe it's a religion of revelation. That there is a God who has chosen to make Himself known. And so He did it. He created us so that we would enjoy His love. So the reason that He did it, He created for our sake. He created us to enjoy fellowship with Him. But the Bible, that's how it opens. Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2, but the Bible begins to go in chapter 3 and it tells us that the world enjoyed through this relationship with God was interrupted by this deep, dark shadow that, was, that the world was cast into because of man who was created for fellowship with God chose their own choice to enjoy not having fellowship with God. And the whole world then was cast into darkness through the willful and sinful rebellion of mankind as we chose our way over God's way. And so the world is just in this deep place of darkness. And the Bible says that it's from that darkness that a great light has shined. So this is so important. Listen, this is important. The Bible begins in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth and the uh, world was formless, voidless. So there's this idea that there's darkness. And then God says in Genesis chapter 1, the first thing, let there be light, and there was light. And then so mankind goes and sins. He rebels. And so the light of God's fellowship that was enjoyed, it's now we've been cast back into darkness. So it's like this reversal of what God has intended. And it's from that darkness... That there's one who's coming who himself is the light of the world who he begins to speak light 
back into the darkness. This whole language of God recreating, reordering things, this is why Jesus has come. So from the midst of darkness, a great light has shined. And at the center of this light, there is the Son. There is the Savior. And the Bible says that this Savior has come in marvelous light and His coming is the dawn of a brand new day. And what He has come to do is He's come to shine brightly through His life and His light into our darkness so that our darkness would be replaced by His light. Look at the text. Look at Matthew chapter 4. Don't take my word for it. Look at this. Matthew chapter 4. Look at what happens here in verse 12. When Jesus heard that John was arrested, He withdrew into Galilee, leaving Nazareth. He went to live in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Now look at verse 16. The people dwelling, where are they dwelling? What's the word? Darkness. What have they seen? A great light. And for those dwelling in the region of the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. Now wait a minute, wait a minute. We thought Jesus came. What's this talking about light and darkness? You get the point. The Bible's making the point. The world is in darkness until Jesus came. And Jesus has come as this new light, bringing with Him this brand new day. And His message to those in darkness, look at what happens in verse 17 of chapter 4. From that time, Jesus began to preach. And what did He begin to say? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He begins to say, repent, turn from the darkness, turn to light, because there is a new day that's coming, and this new day that's coming is going to be inevitable, just like you and I could not stop the sun from coming up. Jesus says, my kingdom is coming, and it's going to be just like the sun. That sun, when it comes up, it's going to overpower darkness. Darkness is going to have to flee from the light of the sun. And so that's the language that the Bible uses to talk about this King who is coming. This King who is bringing His kingdom. So he says the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now what is the kingdom of heaven? It's God's reign over all the earth. Listen carefully. God's reign over all the earth inaugurated, that is, began at Christ's coming. We realize it as His Spirit-filled community of the church. And then one day it will be fulfilled finally when He comes again. So when we talk about the kingdom of God, there is this already aspect, but then there is this not yet aspect. It's just like the, the, the sun has come up and crested the shores of our nation, America, on the East Coast. We have different time zones in America, right? Well, the sun is up. It's a new day in Washington, D.C., it's not a new day over in California. But either way, the Californians realize as they're waiting for the sun to come up a few hours later that the sun is inevitably coming up. It's the same way that we speak about the kingdom of God. There is this already aspect as well as this not yet aspect. You see, Christ has come. Think about it. As well as Christ is coming. We declare that. He's coming. He has come. As well as He is coming. You and I who trust in Jesus, we are those who are saved. We are those who are being saved. Both of those realities are true. You're saved this morning. But you're also being saved this morning. So we then are those who live between two worlds. We live between the tension of today and the tension of tomorrow. And so look at what happens here. 
As Christ proclaims this message, what do we see Him doing? In verses 18-22, through 22, what does He do? He calls men. He invites them to be His subjects. He's the King of the earth. He's the King of the universe. He invites men to get into His kingdom. And how does He do that? What does He do? He calls them to exchange what they know for something that He's going to tell them about. He then comes and He calls men with this promise that they're going to be given something that's better to pursue. Something that is greater to love. They're going to be told a better way for them to spend their lives. And what does He simply do? The better way for them to spend their lives is for them to follow Him. Simply as that. He says, I'm the King. Follow Me. But where is it that they're going? Look at what happens at the text next in verses 23-25. through 25. Look at this. I love this. This is one of my most favorite passages in all of Matthew. It's the summary. Listen to it. It's so good. He went throughout all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease, every affliction among the people. So the fame spread throughout all of Syria, and they, and I love this phrase, they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, and paralytics, and I love this phrase, and He healed them. Verse 25, And great crowds followed Him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. And then the next thing that we see is He sees all these crowds. He goes up on a mountain. He sits down. His disciples come to Him, and then He opens up His mouth. And then this King who's come to declare, this King who has come to be a light in a dark place who has been healing all of these diseases, He comes, He opens His mouth, and He teaches them saying, this is the way to blessedness. You see, Jesus has come to make all things new. Jesus has come to bring brightness to darkness. Jesus has come to make an end of sinning. Jesus has come to see a broken world, to mend it, to set it straight. Jesus has come to bring the kingdom of God. Jesus has come to remake humanity, to reorder the world to Himself. You see, all of us were in need of what verse 24 says in Matthew chapter 4. All of us were in need of healing and we come to a Savior who is able to heal every affliction, every infirmity, every doubt, every discouragement, every despair, every disease, we come to this Jesus who is able to hear. Do you see how revolutionary this is? If you knew that there was some guy down the road who was able to fix whatever it is that's wrong with you, what would you do? Would you say, well, maybe I'll check his schedule? No, you'd run. You'd sell everything that you have Be willing to go to Him. Listen carefully. This is what the kingdom of God is. This is what we proclaim. This same Jesus is going to stand outside the tomb of a dead man. And everybody's going to be like, well, Jesus, so much for your message. You got here too late. And He's going to look and He's going to say, do you believe in Me? Yes, of course I do. And then He's going to look at that tomb and He's going to say, Lazarus, come out. And then the dead man is going to come to life. And it gets even better than that. He's going to say of Himself, one day you're going to kill Me. The priest and all these authorities, they're going to kill Me. But don't worry, disciples. Three days later, I'm going to come back to life. And then guess what happened three days later? 
He came back to life. If a man can tell you that he's going to come back from the dead and he does it, sell the farm. Get rid of everything. Whatever it takes to follow Him, that's what we're going to do. And so here He is coming. This great God who's coming to reorder the world to Himself. Look what happens next. The crowds are gathering in chapter 5. He opens His mouth and He teaches them. I want us to think about that phrase for just a minute. He opens His mouth and teaches them. Why is that there? Now, we have many teachers in the room. I know sometimes you wish that you could teach without opening your mouth. But it just usually, you have to at least open your mouth and say, don't do that. Quit, Johnny. Hit quit and Susie. All the rest. You have to open your mouth at least sometimes to teach. So why in the world does Matthew want us to know that he opens his mouth and teaches? Why is he drawing us to this point? I think there's two reasons. First, there is a people that Jesus is encountering a people who are ready to hear His Word. Who are ready to receive whatever it is that He's bringing. There's this hush that's gone over the crowds as the light of the world standing before them to speak. And so, if you think about people, they are oftentimes so aware of their own predicament but they're less ready to receive the remedy of what it is that ails them. Isn't that just the common way of the world? People are ready to hear what it is that's going to fix them. But they're less likely to do what it takes to get fixed unless it's a quick fix, right? I think about today the conditions of the health, the most serious, but they're not the most immediate. Think about a heart condition or maybe a blood condition, something like that. I'm speaking about things that can be prevented now. The doctor recommends cutting back on sugar, cutting back on cholesterol, quit smoking, quit drinking. He says all these things. He says basically, you're going to do this for better health. It even threatens you and says, if you don't do these things, you're going to die. You need to quit doing this. But you know what statistics show? Statistics show that most people aren't ready to accept what the doctor says. Even if they go through this major life debilitating Change of news, and the doctor says, well, listen, if you would just do this, then you'd live. No, I don't believe that. I'm not going to do that. But worse, listen carefully, worse than a person who poorly manages their health is someone with a closed and a hardened heart to God. So what do we have here? Here is the author of life speaking. The light of the world bringing light into darkness. He's bringing darkness to nothing, and yet... Most who hear His voice, they just won't listen. Remember who it is that's speaking. Remember who this is. He is the one whose mouth was there in the very beginning. Causing the stars to shine. Causing the mountains to rise from the sea. Causing the dry land to form from the turbulent waters. This one who's here is the one that the Old Testament declares and expects. And now he is seated on a mountain speaking to a crowd that is weary. Speaking to a crowd that is desperate to hear his message of hope. 
And here he is opening his mouth. And if, listen, this is, don't miss this. The first thing that he says is a word of blessing. The first message that he declares to the crowds is a message of blessedness. I love the Greek word here. The Greek word is makarios. I don't say a lot of Greek often, but the Greek word that fall off of my southern tongue and I like the way it hits my ear, I say it and I share it with you all. It's a fun word to say. You should say it. Makarios. It's just fun. You know what it means? Let me tell you a little bit about Makarios. There was this island that they named off the coast of Greece named Makarios. It had everything that the inhabitants needed. It was a self-sufficient island. They did not depend upon any outside source for whatever it is that they needed. That complete island and those who inhabited were self-sufficient in what they had. Jesus is saying, this is this God saying that there is a life of complete satisfaction. And it's only found in Him. You see this word blessed, it means happy. Yes, some translations yours may say happy is the man, or happy are the poor, whatever the case. It means happy, but it means so much more than happy. Blessed refers to one who is approved by God. One who is highly favored of God. Someone says Blessed is the man. And Jesus comes and says, this is the way to achieve blessedness. I just want to ask you a question just before we really look at the rest of them. Wouldn't you say that this is good news? Isn't this good news? This message that hope has come to the horizon of this world as the dawn of a new day is beginning? Hope is here. Hope is realized. Jesus has come and now we have something to believe in, someone to love, and a cause to serve. Whereas before, we were just stretching out, trying to grasp at things, hoping that they fit. Jesus said there is a rock-solid assurance. This salvation that I have been preparing for the world since the very beginning, it's here now. This is good news. Christ has come to remake humanity. He has come to reorder all of our affairs to Himself. And blessedness comes only through Christ. And without Him, we don't even know what blessedness is. Number two this morning. Blessedness comes through grace. Don't miss this. If Christ has come, understand the, the progression here. Christ has come into our chaos. Christ from Heaven has come seeking and saving the lost ones. And so if we're going to be blessed, it only comes through His action. It only comes through His grace. We are those who stand in desperate need. We are those who, the Bible says, are outside the bounds of blessedness. We may have thought that we knew a way to blessedness and we might have been right if Jesus hadn't have come. But now that Jesus has come, everything has changed. And He has told us the way to blessedness. So just look at this. Look at the demands of the Beatitudes. Look how they hit us. Christ declares this is what it means to be blessed. Poor in spirit, mourn, meek, hungering and thirsting, merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers, persecuted. This is blessed. It is absolutely impossible for us. If you think about that list, it is absolutely impossible for us to ever make it. If that's what it takes to be blessed, 
Most of us have already missed it. But listen to me. What is impossible with us is possible with God. If, there was a, if God thought that we could do it in and of ourselves, then He wouldn't have sent Jesus. So He has sent Jesus. Don't miss this. He doesn't just tell us what the blessed life is. He comes to us as we are. Without ceasing to be what He was, He becomes what He is not. He unites Himself. He becomes flesh. 100% God. 100% man. All in one person. Our one Lord Jesus Christ. He comes and He doesn't just tell us about the blessed life as some guru up on a hill speaking down to us. He comes and lives this life for us. He didn't say, this is the way. What did He say? He said, I am the way. Do you see that? Don't miss that. Don't think that we can follow a set of rules and get to Jesus. We follow Jesus to get to Jesus. Do you understand? He is the way. He didn't just write it on a scroll for us to read. He sent His Son to seek and save the lost ones. And so when we read these Beatitudes, listen carefully, we read what Christ intends every one of us to be. This is not just a list for the elite. This is a list of characteristics that's meant for you, that's meant for me. Each of us who follow Christ, this list is for us. Look at the list. Look at it closely. Each one goes together and builds off each other. And each is intended to bring us to the same end. I want you to see this. Look at verse 3 just for a moment. Blessed is the poor in spirit, for theirs is what? The kingdom of heaven. Now look at the end of the list. Look at verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is what? The kingdom of heaven. You know what that is? The technical term is an inclusio. That's a bracket. So in other words, it's saying that whatever is between these two lists, we're all going to the same place. Each of these blessed statements or beatitudes is intended to show us the pathway to the kingdom of heaven. Look at these descriptions again. Look at them. How do they hit you? You just take them at face value. Do they seem like something you want to run towards or run away from? Poor. Mourn. Meek. Hungry. Thirsty. Merciful. Pure in heart. Oh, it's getting a little better, right? Peacemakers. Persecuted? Does this seem like something that we want to run towards or run away from? And the point of such high demands is to show us that the only way that we can achieve blessedness is through grace. The only way that we can achieve blessedness is through this God doing it for us. Bringing us to it. Remember the conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus in John chapter 3? I love this. Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night and he says to him, basically, he says, you, you have to be from God. Because nobody can do what it is that you do. You've got to be from God. And what does Jesus say to Nicodemus? Do you remember? Nicodemus, I tell you the truth. Unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of heaven. So here Nicodemus is telling me, Lord, you must be from God because nobody can do what you do. So God, how do I do? He's, remember, he's a Pharisee. He's a law keeper. He wants to know how it is that he can achieve the law. And then what does Jesus say to him? He says, Nicodemus, you've got to be born again. You've got to be born again. 
before you can ever do it, you have to be born again. The only way that we can see the kingdom of God, the only way that we can live a life fully pleasing to God is by His grace in our lives, reaching us where we are and then giving us life. That's the only way. Now, it's one thing to know that we were meant to live this way, and it's quite another thing for us to be able to actually live this way. And the way that we become blessed is by participating in the life of the Son. We come to Him, placing our life into His hands, trusting Him for our life. And He not only tells us what is possible, what does He do? He makes this blessed life possible by grace through faith in Him. And if such a life is available, if this life is truly available for us, then number three, then this life should be our number one priority. Blessedness should be the number one thing that we pursue. It should be our top priority. And if you've ever heard the Beatitudes before, and, and, and you've never understood that these were statements that describe the character of a Christian, would you believe them? They sound pretty unbelievable, don't they? You mean to tell me that poor, mournful, meek, hungry, merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers who are persecuted, they're the ones who are going to win in the end? Yes. That's what Jesus said. No wonder those on the outside, we may say, aren't knocking down the doors to join us. Look around. Some say, this is not the way. Some within the church look around and they say, well, we're not having enough crowds being drawn, so let's change things around. They really don't believe these statements. And so they say, we'll never win the world this way. Let's change things. So they lead the church to pursue other things. They may even draw great crowds and they may not draw any crowds at all. And they think that they're doing God's work. But you know what they miss? They miss the glory of the Gospel. The glory of the Gospel is that God has chosen the foolish things in the world to shame the wise. The way that we draw a crowd, the way which we grow a church is by us speaking truth into the culture. By us seeking resolutely to do one thing above all things, and that is to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and letting everything else be added to us because this is who we are. We take Jesus at His Word. We believe Him. And never forget this, that Christ has come to call us away from the world and He's called us to Himself. Never forget that. He's called us away from the world and to pursue Himself. And I want to tell you this morning, listen closely to the preacher, there is no loss in following Jesus. Not that there's no loss, because it will cost you something. But followers of Jesus never lose anything. You know what we do instead? We gain everything. Jesus is going to tell us just later that we seek His kingdom first. And if we seek His kingdom first, then we gain everything. I want to tell you this morning, this blessed life that Christ has called us to is unlike anything that the world knows. It's unlike anything that they're currently pursuing. And if we choose to live this life, I'm going to tell you, just to be honest, if we choose to live this life, then there is inevitably going to be tension that's going to arise between us and the rest of the world. That's just the way it's going to be. 
there's going to be this tension, this friction that comes, this conflict that comes with the world. But that's okay. For us who follow Jesus, that's okay. Why is that? Because look at what verse 13 and 14 says. We as followers of Jesus, we're the salt of the earth. We're the light of the world. But here's the thing, as we are the salt and light, we're not putting our own flavor into the world. We're not shining our own light. Our lives are simply witnesses to His life. I want you to look at the Beatitudes again. I know I've called you to do that, and hopefully you'll read them again, and again, and again. Look at the Beatitudes again. And I want you to just do some thinking this morning. You may look at this list, And you may not recognize yourself. But is there someone that you recognize? Is there someone who totally fulfills every characteristic mentioned in these blessed statements? Can you this morning, as you look at that list, you may not be able to find yourself, but can you see Jesus in the list? Can you see Christ? Number four this morning, listen carefully. Christ is the blessed one. He is the way to blessedness. Why is He the way to blessedness? Because He Himself is the blessed one. Think about it. Look at verse 3 and on down the list as I go through them. Christ was poor in spirit. He totally depended upon the Father. Christ mourned. The Bible says He bore our sins and our sorrows. He made them His very own. Christ was meek. Christ was hungering and thirsting for righteousness. He wasn't hungering and thirsting for His own righteousness. He was hungering and thirsting for your righteousness and mine. Christ was merciful. Christ was the pure in heart. He never sinned. Christ was the peacemaker. He made peace with God by taking our place. And how did He do that? Christ, look at the next one. Christ was persecuted. He was led, the Bible says in Isaiah, like a sheep to His own slaughter. He suffered and died to give us life. He suffered and died to make us the blessed ones. To give us His life. So you may look at this list and you may not see yourself. You may look at this list and you may see how far you are from this list. But listen closely to me this morning. Look to the list and see one thing before everything else. See Christ. This morning, do you want a blessed life? Do you want a blessed life? Don't trust in your efforts to secure a blessed life. Trust in His effort. And find life. You see, the same Jesus who we see in Matthew chapter 5 today, climbing on a mountain to teach, will be the same Jesus who's going to climb another hill. This time His body will be beaten and broken by rods and and whips. This time 
He will be bearing my sin and your sin on His shoulders. And six hours one Friday, He's going to die on a cross. Three days later, He's going to rise from the dead. Also, you and I can be the Beatitudes. But listen to me carefully. You have to trust Him. You can't trust your efforts. You have to trust Him. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we love You. We thank You, our God, for calling us to life. And Father, You didn't just simply call us to life. You came to give us life. Help us, Lord God, to be in hot pursuit with a red-hot passion, a white-hot passion. Passionately pursuing life. Passionately pursuing God. May nothing else satisfy our hearts like Jesus. In His name we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray God will use this message for His glory in your life. If you would like more information, please feel free to contact us at info at OxfordBaptistChurch.com. Oxford Baptist Church is located in Oxford, Georgia. If you're close, we'd love to meet you.